Sometimes you feel so alone and overwhelmed, you don't know where to turn. These days, it seems like there is no end to our problems. We invite you to connect with Silent Unity, the 24-hour prayer ministry where someone is waiting to pray with you right now. Since 1890, Silent Unity has always been there. No judgment or dogma, just someone affirming the best for you. Call 816-969-2000 today. You can also connect online at unityprayervigil.org. Thanks for joining us. This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, offering insights and practices for spiritually, consciously living today. Here's your host, Yogacharya, Ellen Grace O'Brien. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, where we talk about yoga in all its depth and breadth as a path to spiritually conscious, fulfilled living in today's world. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, co-host and producer of the show, and today our topic is emotional resilience in difficult times. So here we are, it's October of 2020, we're 10 months into this pandemic, many, many months into the life changes that we've had to make, social distancing, you know, economic disruptions, etc. How can we stay grounded? emotionally connected and empowered in these times of turmoil. So I am really delighted to be joined today by Ralph De La Rosa, LCSW, who's author of the book we will be discussing today, Don't Tell Me to Relax, Emotional Resilience in the Age of Rage, Feels, and Freakouts. Ralph is a psychotherapist in private practice and a seasoned meditation instructor. His work has been featured in the New York Post, CNN, GQ, Self, Women's Health, and many other publications and podcasts. He regularly leads immersive healing retreats at Omega Institute, Spirit Rock, and Kripalu. Ralph himself is a depression, PTSD, and opioid, sorry, opiate addiction survivor. His work is inspired by the tremendous transformation he has experienced through meditation, yoga, and therapy. You can find out more about Ralph De La Rosa, his books and events at his website, ralphdelarosa.com, which is just how it sounds, ralphdelarosa.com. Welcome, Ralph De La Rosa. I'm really delighted to have you on the Yoga Hour with me this morning. Thank you so much and good morning. It's truly my pleasure to be here with you. So before we dive into our dialogue about emotional resilience in difficult times, let's begin with a moment of contemplation. So let's begin by just bringing ourselves fully present in this moment, whatever we're doing, wherever we are, bringing our attention to our body and to the surfaces that support our body in space. Whether we're walking or sitting, driving, lying down, just feel all of the surface that supports your body. And then turn your attention to the breath wonderful tool we always have with us to help us center 
And just notice as you take a fully conscious breath, just notice as you inhale and exhale. Just keeping your attention on the breath, not trying to change the natural flow, but just noticing. The next inhale, feel the cool air in the nostrils. And the next exhale, the warm air flowing out. And as we rest here, right where we are, here's something to contemplate from Paramahansa Yogananda, taken from the book Metaphysical Meditations. We're focusing on Yogananda during this 100th anniversary of Yogananda's arrival in the United States. Yogananda said, Dear Father, and I would add, Dear Mother, Eternal Friend, Constant Companion, Whatever conditions confront me, I know that they represent the next step in my unfoldment. I will welcome all tests because I know that within me is the intelligence to understand and the power to overcome. Whatever conditions confront me, I know that they represent the next step in my unfoldment. I will welcome all tests because I know that within me is the intelligence to understand and the power to overcome. So Ralph De La Rosa, once again, welcome to the Yoga Hour. It's really great to have you on as a guest. And as I mentioned to you a few minutes ago, is when we right before the program, um, what an amazing time for you to come out with this book. <laughs> um, don't tell me to relax. Emotional resilience in the age of rage, feels, and freakouts. Your book deals with negative emotions like anger, which I thought was such a great topic for us this time. At this time, October of 2020, when obviously there's so much going on and so many negative feelings may be arising in people, there's obviously the pandemic, the uh, economic situation, there's a lot of fear and worry about that, there's a dawning awareness of the racial injustice, there's a very... um, very high emotions about the presidential election that's about to happen. Anyway, a lot is going on. So (laughs) what inspired you to write this book? Yeah, thank you so much. And I've been uh, saying to people, uh, because I'm, I'm getting a lot of the comment of, you know, it's so relevant for right now, like it's so relevant. And, you know, it's actually heartbreaking that it's relevant. I want to live in a world where my book is irrelevant. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> that's, that's kind of the goal, just like a good doctor, you know, uh, uh, puts themselves out of business. But uh, the inspiration was really... Uh, I had put out The Monkey is the Messenger, my first book about meditation and trauma. And um, and shortly thereafter, Shambhala Publications came to me and said, you know what, the election is going to be a really fraught time. 
there's going to be a lot of emotions and there's going to be a lot of spiritual people wondering what to do with those and not down to read a book that's like about just acceptance and you know let's take the edge off and let's focus on peace you know that that has both the view of the absolute and the rel relative world uh, really really integrated and we had no idea no idea uh, we sent it to print the week that coronavirus lockdowns began in america which is just just so wild we had no idea that you know the words systemic oppression or systemic racism would become household words uh between the time of us finishing it and uh, uh it coming out um we just had no idea so i'm i'm doubly glad that it exists now given our situation yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I was struck at the very beginning of the book, what you write about in the introduction of your experience for a period of time of being a Vedic monastic. And <laughs> you write, you write about this, and I'm not sure I'm saying correctly, but the Mongol Arti, is that right? Mm -hmm. Mongol Arti, this devotional hymn with which you used to begin your days and uh, you trans translate, you offer some of the, you know, translation of the Mongol RT in the book. Um, and the first sentence just really grabbed me. You write that it says being caught up in this world is like sleeping in a forest fire. <laughs> wow. Do we ever feel that right now? I think. And then it, the hymn goes on seeing this, we must refuse to rest on our laurels. We must rise. We must find the path home. We must make sure no one is left behind. We cannot put this off until tomorrow. And then it also speaks of an ocean of mercy, which we can each access and express. So to me, that was just an amazing and wonderful place to begin the book, this idea, this image of us sleeping in a forest fire. So how has the experience of having been a Vedic monastic influenced your work in the world today? Yeah, thank you so much for that question. I, I just, just really right there in that, that Mongol Arti uh, stanza that I, I offer an interpretive translation. That's not a direct translation, just to be clear. But right there is um, a high bar set for truth mm -hmm. and a high aspiration uh, to, to meet that truth. And I think that that's what living in an ashram really gave me is that there's these high standards. We're not going to turn away from the tough stuff. We're not going to turn away from the difficulty. We're going to maintain the highest form of discipline, the highest form of practice that we can uh, cultivate. Um, it's really a devotional situation. It's bhakti yoga. And to have that sort of fire in your heart for the path, for awakening, I think is, is really necessary because mm -hmm. it, it takes so much more to wake up. It takes so much more to accomplish our dreams. It takes so much more uh, to accomplish social justice than we are often willing to give mm -hmm. at the outset. Right. And the path of devotion really says, no, we're, we're here to give our all. Mm. And that's the, just having been, uh, just having received a little bit of training in that way of living, I think has really served me so well for the rest of my life. Mm. Yeah. Lovely. 
So as you mentioned, your first book dealt with meditation, and you also mentioned in your bio that I read that meditation and yoga have been transformative in your life. And since the Yoga Hour is really exploring the depth of yoga, which you know is really centered around meditation practice, what, in your view, is the role of meditation in dealing with these negative emotions that we're going to be diving into discussing? absolutely essential <laughs> complete non-negotiable yeah. uh, it's we can't really do without it just like we can't do without proper nutrition or movement for the body you know right i think um and i'm curious what your experience of this is too but i think one of the big things is just having the foundation the daily foundation of no matter what's going on this is a place i turn right and then we turn to a particular place, we turn to our inner life, we let go of the outer life, and we turn the lights on inside, so to speak. That foundation alone offers us so much opportunity in the long term. Mm -hmm. But then there's also inherent in meditation is, you know, what do we do with that inner world and what comes up there, what we discover there, the thoughts, the feelings, the sensations, the different experiences that are had, you know, compel us into this fundamental truth that it's not just me plus my experience. It's me plus my experience plus my relationship to that experience. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's a turning point. I can hate my experience and that leads me down one road. I can have compassion or gentleness for my experience and that takes me down a completely different road. Mm -hmm. Meditation is really an ideal place where we can begin to, one, see these things, directly experience them for ourselves and then to uh, work on that a bit. You know, but, but, yeah, I think it's different in your tradition though too with the, with the Kriya Yoga, yes? Oh yeah, meditation is, daily meditation is kind of the number one recommendation to have a daily meditation practice, absolutely. Um, for me, my meditation practice also helps in the the process we're going to talk about in the second part of the show that you recommend in your book, but that it's kind of that pause that if something's happened happening to me uh, in the world, something that is unexpected or unpleasant or whatever, um, I certainly can get totally triggered into just reacting. Mm -hmm. Um, And the times that I'm able to not just get triggered into reacting, the times that I'm able to pause that moment and then decide you make a decision do i want to go there <laughs> do i do i want to get triggered um that is a space that opens up for me with meditation if my meditation practice is regular i am not as reactive and if i it's not as regular if it's shorter what have you then i am triggered more easily so for me that's part of the feedback it's sort of the the um added benefit of meditation is enabling me to maintain that sense of tranquility in in the in the storm of life. Yeah, operation recalibration. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you take a chapter in the book and you talk about Ma Kali, and mm-hmm. I thought that I, I really enjoyed that chapter. So I wanted to give you a chance to talk about that a little bit. You talk about her as an example of the compassion that can underline a, underlie anger and how 
you know, making that connection between anger and compassion is so important and so rich. So can you describe Makali for our listeners with both her rage and her compassion? Absolutely. Um, yeah. So here we have uh, this goddess who was birthed from all the energy of all the entire pantheon of Hindu gods. So the mythology goes. She was birthed from all of their energy. She is an expression of the collective uh, uh, active, emotional activation, really, of the gods and goddesses. Mm. You know, and they emanate together. Kali, who's big, black, matted hair, you know, blue-black, the blackest, as black as you can get, uh, tongue dripping with blood, a skirt made of arms that she's severed from her victims, and you know, just about the gnarliest image you could uh, uh, imagine. And yet, she's don't only... forget the necklace of skulls, right? right? <laughs> skulls around her neck, a chalice, but giving ha- giving birth in one hand, you know, holding a, a a sword in the next, you know, like she'll 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 give everything, she'll take it all away, you know. Yeah. And yet, she's considered the mother of all beings and the mother of compassion and. Her only role was divine. Her only uh, conquest was was divine in uh, uh, nature, right? That she was birthed actually at a moment when there was a cosmic coup happening, where there was a demon god who was threatening to, you know, undo the very fabric of existence itself, who had somehow amassed all of this power despite the goodness of the world. And she was birthed to stop that demon. You know, and wild, uncontrollable, absolutely angry, but with a divine heart at at her core. And that's the difference between perhaps an ordinary, habitual, reactive kind of anger and Kali's anger that she models for us of being able to go on there's a saying in the Tibetan tradition to care for whatever needs your care and destroy whatever needs to be destroyed. Mm. Let go of whatever needs to be let go of. Don't worry about it. Mm. You know, just keep it moving. <laughs> and Kali's a real example of that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Indeed. Indeed. So you write, anger almost never operates without some form of logic behind it. Anger is never is almost never random. It has intelligence. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I think for a lot of us who are facing anger at this point over any of a number of things, it would be really useful to think about anger in this way. So how does anger have intelligence? Well, if we just go back to the colleague example for a moment, you know, that that she's a manifestation of the God's passion and, and uh, need to rectify a very, very harmful situation. And they had to manifest uh, a, an angry force that was able to match the intensity of the harm that was uh, imminent for all beings, right? And that's wise. That's actually wise. So to ground it in an everyday example, you know, um, 
in psychology and in, in traditional Western psychology, they would say that anger is a secondary emotion. It's never the first thing that we feel. Right. We always feel it in response to pain, insult, being disregarded in some way. 100% of the time, it never just we ne we're never just angry without the presence of something troubling first. That's right. that hurts, including fear. Right. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And so that's there's an intelligence to that wanting to respond. If we think about the definition of compassion, what is the definition of compassion? It's seeing suffering and having the heartfulness to respond in an appropriate way. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that expression of our anger habitually is wonderful. Yes. Let's clarify at, that. <laughs> at the level of our motivation, anger has that compassionate core of I see pain, fear, shame, insult, etc. And it's it's evidence of our heart's natural responsiveness and, and wakefulness that we get angry. That doesn't mean our relationship to anger doesn't need to evolve. Certainly right. it does. We, right. It's not a, not a license to just go out and, you know, re get really angry on people that are around us, for sure. Yes. Please don't go on a killing spree like Chloe. <laughs> That's right. Absolutely. <laughs> so, so speaking of this, anger can be a potent and destructive force. And I did want to say... I did want to give you a chance to talk about parameters, <clears throat> parameters that you recommend that people put around their exploration of anger. Yeah. Well, uh, I have a teacher who says that meditation is a wonderful place for to experience and work with our anger. Why? Because even if murderous rage comes up, you're sitting still alone in your room. You're not likely to do anything with it, right? Anger is good information, but it's not always an impulse we ought to follow. But the information that anger contains is is often so useful. And um, I practice uh, this thing called parts work uh, sometimes that... that uh, It hinges on that relationship aspect that we touched on in meditation, that it's not just me plus my anger. There's me, my anger, and how I'm feeling towards that anger. Mm -hmm. And like you were saying, that meditation gives you that space between impulse and behavior, between stimulus and, and reaction. And to have the kind of relationship with anger where you, one, first and foremost, notice that it's there that, that uh, uh, here it is, I'm triggered. And then two, put a little space between you and that part of you. And then three, then you're in a position to listen. What am I angry about? What's really going on? What does this part of me need me to do in order for me to calm down? Is it to set a boundary, to communicate something, to address a behavior in my life, to maybe um, uh, let go of a relationship that, that, that is toxic? or something else. Anger always has that information for us. The problem is, is that it's so seductive that it tends to come in and take over and eclipse our reasoning capacity. Um, and so being in your anger, not such a good idea, but being with your anger, having that little bit of space between you and your anger really, uh, uh, 
can be an, a, an awakened situation. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <clears throat> the other thing that you talk about in the book is, and I think perhaps this is our fear, you talk about our belief or feeling that anger is static. I'm angry. I'm always angry about this. You know, why should I feel that? Because it's just going to still be there. Um, So there is this feeling that it's static. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the things that I thought was great about the book is you really question that you really question about that, that belief that we have that anger is static. So we've got just about um, two minutes before the break. So can you say a little bit more about that about anger, not being static? Yeah, it's a living force, right? It's coursing through us. It moves, it changes, it's fiery. There's thoughts that come from it. There's sensations in the body that come from it. It comes and it goes, it waxes and it wanes. So how could it ever be anything other than a dynamic force that we can process with? And again, we have a relationship to our angry parts and that relationship really matters. So more like a living presence in our lives and less like an object or an it. Mm -hmm. I think that for people on a spiritual path, it's challenging. It's challenging to find that you're angry about something because there's perhaps a feeling that, oh, I'm a spiritual person. I shouldn't feel that. (laughs) So there tends to be a repression or a lack of awareness when we are feeling angry. And then in my own experience, what I find happens when I do that is it comes out anyway. Yep. It's not it's not going anywhere. And then it comes out in ways that are really not the ways that I would prefer it come out. I snap at people. I am very short tempered, etc. And so I think it's it's useful to have a different way of dealing with it. Absolutely. Repression doesn't resolve it. Trying to get rid of it, going around it, circumventing it, spiritualizing it, it doesn't doesn't resolve right. it. Yes. Yeah. Telling yourself you shouldn't be feeling that way. Oh. <laughs> not, not a good strategy. Just throw some gasoline <laughs> on that fire, why don't you? <laughs> and with that, we've come to the break. You're listening to the Yoga Hour with our guest, Ralph De La Rosa psychotherapist, meditation instructor, and author of the book we're discussing today, Don't Tell Me to Relax, Emotional Resilience in the Age of Rage, Feels, and Freakouts. You can find out more about Ralph, his books, and events at his website, ralphdelarosa.com. We welcome your comments and questions. You can contact us at yogahour at unity.fm. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, producer and co-host of the show. When we come back from the break, we'll explore more about anger and its transformative power. We'll be right back. Thanks for joining us. This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. You're listening to The Yoga Hour, living the eternal way with your host, Yogacharya, Ellen Grace O'Brien. 
Welcome back from the break. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, producer and co-host of the podcast, and I have with me therapist and author Ralph De La Rosa. So, Ralph, we were just talking over the break, and you were talking about anger and that there was more that you might have to say about that. So let's just start there. Uh, what would you like to share with us about anger? Well, we were just chatting over the break about how, you know, as spiritual people, we, we tend to have this implicit belief that like, you know, oh, I'm, I'm supposed to be peaceful all the time. I, I, that we have a preconceived notion of what spiritual life looks like or what meditation uh, necessarily looks like or, or what the experience is. And one thing I come back to over and over again that I take from neuroscience actually is that we're hardwired for anger. Mm. We're hardwired for anger. We're hardwired for desire. We're hardwired for fear. We're hardwired for stress. We're hardwired for the whole, you know, spectrum mm-hmm. of, of human experience. And to seek to, you know, kind of do some sort of psychic surgery and cut those parts of us off, that is necessarily antithetical to, you know, we we have this word in common, you and I, Laura, which is yoga, right? Right. That's that's one way of conceptualizing the spiritual path, which, you know, there's lots of uh, interpretations of what that word means. And one of them is whole, wholeness. Absolutely, wholeness, yes. To bring ourselves together, no more fragmentation, no more disavowal, no more, as I have a teacher who says, uh, we try to hate ourselves into enlightenment or shame ourselves into enlightenment, you know, Um, we have to bring together all the precious energies and experiences, even the difficult and dark ones, uh, in some way and relate to it all in order to be able to move forward on this path and not just do some sort of make it into something else. Right. We have <laughs> well, cool. make it into an inhuman experience, I guess <clears throat> there have, there has to be room for all parts of our own humanity. Mm-hmm. And if we can't allow ourselves to feel all parts of our, our own humanity, how can we then have patience and tolerance of others? who are experiencing those same human parts. As you said, I I really appreciate that looking at the, at these negative emotions as being hardwired because they are, we have whole huge parts of our brain, the lizard part of our brain uh, that responds directly, the response to stress in Hmm. ways that we can't, you can't think yourself out of responding to stress. Yeah, in the in the Tibetan Tantra, there's a saying: uh, include and transcend. Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> not just transcend, not just do away with, not just go beyond, but include it and transcend it, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is much more complex and asks more of us <laughs> mm-hmm. than us to go beyond it somehow. Right. right, which is what you point to when we talk about the transformative potential Mm. of negative emotions, the transformative potential of anger. Acting out anger is not transformative. (laughs) But as you said, the way, and you have a bunch of quotes in the book about this, I think, the way out is through. Mm -hmm. We can't deny it. We can't repress it. We need to, uh, what did you just say from the Tibetan Buddhist standpoint, uh, include and, and transform, right? Or include and transcend. Yeah. Yeah. 
Indeed. I mean, they say anger is a low vibration. And I don't know if that's true. Because um, there's so much energy to it. There's so much fire to it. You know, um, I sometimes say to my students, you know, imagine you have a bodyguard who really wants to protect you. Right. That's fundamentally a good intention for somebody to want to look out for your safety. But now let's say you come to realize that bodyguard is a teenager and they don't have their full cognitive and reasoning capacity and they, you know, they're overprotective or they, you know, start fires to protect you or they beat people up to protect you. Right. That's kind of our situation with anger. Uh, the habitual, like, hooked in, uh, no space between me and anger kind of relationship to anger is it's a bodyguard. It's there to respond to situations in which we feel vulnerable in some way. But it needs to grow up mm-hmm. and it can use some uh, 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 evolving to help us to make better choices. Right. Because it's overactive. It's like a bouncer that's not letting anyone into the club. (laughs) (laughs) I love that image, actually, of the of this bodyguard, but a teenage bodyguard. That's great. (laughs) It's a fundamentally good situation. It just, you know, you don't want to get rid of your bodyguard. (laughs) Which is the wisdom, the wisdom of anger, as you were mentioning earlier. Yeah. It, it, could, it could serve you, but imagine if you could make that your ally and bring all of that fiery energy of anger under your auspices, mm. utilize its creative potential <laughs> as well in your life. That's that's what we're talking about when we say include and transcend. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, so <clears throat> you touched earlier on this four-part process, <clears throat> and I wanted to... Um, invite you to go into it a little bit more deeply as some as a a method that perhaps people can work with begin to work with um, with or without your book I think the book has a ton of other stuff in it which is wonderful and I'll put a plug for that Um, but I thought this would give some people give listeners something to take home so you describe this four-part process to shift our inner dialogue about anger and other negative emotions and those the four-part processes pause unblend get curious and shift the inner conversation and so the process starts with pausing so tell us a bit more about that and how do we get better at that right um the same way you get to carnegie hall Practice, practice, practice. practice. <laughs> and meditation, as we said earlier. Exactly, exactly the vehicle I am pointing to with that. But so, so parts work, which, which comes from a psychological modality called internal family systems that has a huge alignment with a lot of uh, indigenous traditions and certainly tantric traditions and yogic traditions and um, it's it's another way of getting at the unconscious mind of doing inner work and that's that's where this comes from uh, it shows shows a lot with mo- the mindfulness uh, uh, modern mindfulness tradition as well um, and then practice of pausing well that word 
necessarily means that we are aware, that we stop ourselves, which I think is really necessary, especially with anger and rage and these really intense emotions, is to stop. Just stop. And if you can get away with it, don't move. <laughs> because anything, if you are uh, cognitively fused with your anger, you feel like the anger is you. There's not a lot you can do in that moment that won't cause uh, further harm unless you stop. And that's that's probably the hardest step in, in what we're about to go into is to notice I'm angry and to excuse myself to the bathroom for five minutes <laughs> or to tell that person I need to not text you back for a day or whatever, you know, to 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 take a moment with ourselves. Yeah. So that's, I mean, that's pausing. Right. And then you mentioned in the book that it's something that you shouldn't wait until you're in the throes of a negative emotion. It's something that we can practice multiple times a day. We can just get used to pausing whatever we're doing and having a mindfulness moment. Yeah. That's part of the function of, yeah. Uh, uh, interspersing mindfulness moments or mindful pauses <clears throat> throughout your day is, is starting to just notice how we're feeling. A lot of us just, we don't realize how we're feeling until after the fact, right. until after we did something uh, uh, that was maybe not the best. Right. Um, and so to, to have a habit, right? And I, I say maybe six to 12 times a day mm. of, just, of just pausing, right? Mm -hmm. Take a moment before you check your phone in the morning. Take a moment after you check your phone in the morning. <laughs> right. Take a moment on your way to work. Take yes. a moment when you're sitting down in your chair. Take a moment after work. You just and even three breaths. Yeah. It's such a game changer, right? To just yeah. notice how we're feeling and and to make space for that. Yeah. So we're paused, and <laughs> next is unblending. So what do you mean by unblending? Yeah, that's that is very much a parts work specific term that um, we we talk about it though in spiritual communities uh, with identifying with your experience, right? Um, being or or the neuroscience term is cognitive fusion, but but if you think about it, let's say you know you're walking along and everything's fine, and then somebody steps on your foot mm -hmm. on the street, right? And they just keep walking, too. They don't even acknowledge it. They step on your foot. They keep going. Suddenly, you feel what? Right? You feel the pain in your foot. You feel the disrespect of that person. And then you're pissed off. Mm -hmm. right? You're off to the races. And in that moment, you have entered a completely different mind. Mm -hmm. Think about plus, it. <clears throat> plus, maybe they didn't have a mask on. Right? <laughs> <laughs> right. They just right in your face. Yes. So you're quadruply angry at that point. Right. Um, but but in that moment, you are in a different mind completely, right? Your body feels different. Your emotions feel different. The thoughts going through your head might be things you would 
wouldn't have thought five minutes ago, wouldn't have tolerated from yourself five minutes ago, and your uh, inclination toward behavior, your your uh, predilections all shift as well. So everything about you is different, and that's because you're blended with that angry part of you. It's taken over, mm-hmm. and so unblending is that is is the process of getting that space mm-hmm. where. I've just got to say we're we're both referencing Viktor Frankl here a great deal, right? That he says in between stimulus mm-hmm. and response, there is a space. And in that space, you know, it lies our, our character, there lies wisdom, there lies so, so much information. Mm-hmm. For, um, I love that. I love that quote. And that, I think he goes on to say, isn't that where he says, you know, you can, everything can be taken from a human being, but that cannot be taken is our ability to choose our response to choose that which is just so powerful right we're in control of so little yeah <laughs> we're actually in control of so little life itself is coursing through us and wants its own thing with us right so by unblending would you say you take that step you've put you're paused and you can take that step back and realize that we are not our emotions. We are not our thoughts. It we can, we can access that witness consciousness. That we can be aware of. You know, we are what is aware of those things. We can be aware of our emotion. We can be aware of our thoughts, but it's not us. Mm-hmm. Indeed, indeed, Good. it's a part of me. It's not the real me. Right. Right. The real me is that compassionate heart at the center, that witness consciousness, right. Right? that spacious openness, right? And so that's right. what we're really talking about in a moment of anger without repressing your anger, right? right. To, to step back and to find that, that center is truly ideal because if we can start you know, moving into the next uh, uh, steps, right? If we can... If we can start to relate to our anger from that kind of place, from a place of divine spark, yeah, we are on the road to something and, good. And what I what I really enjoyed about this process is you are encouraging people to get triggered into curiosity. Mm-hmm. So instead of being triggered into anger, if we can get triggered into curiosity <laughs> about the anger, if we can enter in from that perspective of the witness consciousness of as we've been talking about. So yeah. can you say more about that? Getting curious, which yeah. maybe is for spiritual people, probably maybe the last thing you want to do. It's like, I just want it to go away. I just want it to go away and not be me, not be part of me. Mm-hmm. Well, the Buddha taught that there's two, two pathways to enlightenment. There's two doors you can walk through, right? There's uh, realizing the ultimate nature of reality <laughs> and there's compassion. Mm-hmm. For me, compassion is a little more relatable and accessible. Yes, uh, accessible. <laughs> requires a little less study as well. But, uh, <laughs> but compassion for an angry part of you, that's also a little bit unaccept- uh, unaccessible, inaccessible mm-hmm. rather, right? That, that's, a, that's a master class. Mm-hmm. But getting curious, I, I call curiosity entry level compassion. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah, because because it, compassion dawns when you really understand something from somebody else's side, 
right? And even if you can't get there, you can start with curiosity. What is it like? Let me drop my presumptions about this and just explore with you for a moment. What is it like? What does this anger feel like? Mm-hmm. You know, what, it, what, it, what is it saying to me? What are the thoughts it's putting through my head? Where does where do I feel it in my body? I think that's a really useful one because that can then be a clue, an earlier cue or clue when it happens again. You, If you are alert to your body, you can feel, oh, I am feeling like my stomach is really tight, mm-hmm. um, you know, or my chest is really tight. Wherever that is for you, you that can be a clue then to, to trigger this process that we're talking about, to pause and to unblend, to get into that witness consciousness and be triggered into curiosity. And then the last step that you talk about is shift the inner conversation. So can you give us an example of some of the ways that you can shift the inner conversation? Yeah, so, and there's lots of examples and and uh, little scripts we can use for questions we can ask uh, within. It's really a process of self-inquiry, but it's important that we're not in the emotion and it's important that there's that space and it's important that we're coming at it in a friendly way, that we have at least that curiosity or open-heartedness in some way. And then from there, you know, but yes, what are the sensations involved? Where is this in my body? What is it like there? Can be, you know, to start to flesh it out and feel into it a little bit more can be really important. What is this part of me saying? What is this part of me uh, afraid of? Mm-hmm. Anger also has some fear in it, in fear that this is going to continue, fear that it's never going to end, fear that we're going to be psychically annihilated by something. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that it's going to take us over, we're going to go crazy and lose it forever. Fear of being vulnerable in a world that is sometimes so harsh and cruel. Um, and what is what is the angry part of me? One question that I love is asking uh, anger, what do, what do you fear might happen if you stop protecting me in this way? Mm. And when we ask that question, some form of I'm going to fall apart. Mm. I'm not going to be able to take it. I'm going to be left here looking like a fool Mm. uh, comes up. And through that, so we're, we're layered beings, right? We, we have so many layers. Um, And if we're talking about anger as a protective force, well then what is it protecting? Right. We only have defense mechanisms to the extent that we have parts of us holding pain, shame, fear, vulnerability down beneath those layers. Right. That's the real uh, inner work is to find what what that angry part is protecting, which is usually when we get habitually angry, usually if we explore with that anger a little bit, what we find is uh, uh, something that connects to an early childhood experience right. or, maybe, or maybe adult experience, but usually early childhood, some sort of wounding that happened to us when we were tender mm. and that there's actually some unresolved pain down there. Mm. That the angry part is reacting because there's a sense of if that happens again, it's going to be too much. Mm. But what if we could 
go to then with a very similar process, go to parts of us holding pain with that curiosity and start relating to those inner children mm-hmm. and, and offering them healing uh, support and, and uh, inner dialogue uh, to offer the heart of compassion, hold them in the space of compassion. When we start to do that, uh, that's the real transformation. That's mm-hmm. the you know, the anger is really a doorway to our afflictions, our deeper afflictions. And our afflictions, so the last thing I'll say here, um, is our afflictions are a doorway to, to the compassionate heart. Mm. They, they compel us to find the compassionate heart because we can't truly heal without it. No therapy is ever going to work if compassion isn't present. No yoga is ever going to really work if there's not a loving uh, uh, energy to it. Right. Right. Absolutely. So the inner dialogue that you just described to me is so much richer than perhaps our habitual inner dialogue when we feel angry, which is perhaps just to say, I shouldn't be feeling that way. (laughs) 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 and so as we said before the way out is through and you've given us a lovely overview of a process that will hopefully allow people to to try this a little bit in in safe spaces um Mm -hmm. this process of pausing unblending getting into that witness consciousness and then Becoming curious, which I love your thing of uh, curiosity as the doorway to compassion. That's great. And then shifting the inner conversation. So this is this has been wonderful to go through that. So we've got a couple more minutes left. And um, I wanted to ask you what words of encouragement or inspiration you would like to share with our listeners in closing. One of my favorite verses in the Bhagavad Gita, actually, is uh, where Krishna tells Arjuna, um, everyone's following my path in all respects. And he says, I am preserving what you have and I carry what you lack. Mm -hmm. And what that says to me is there's no detours on this path. There's no backsliding whatsoever. We are always walking forward, no matter how it feels, no matter our judgments of ourselves, no matter what uh, obstacles arise uh, or deceptions we come across, right? We are always, always, always on the path of uncoming, of becoming, of unfoldment is the word I was reaching for. I love so much, right? We are always there. And all we really have to do because Krishna carries what we have and uh, 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 carries what we lack and preserves what we have, all we have to do is really keep going. Mm. And I come back to that again and again. It's just keep going, no matter what. Just mm-hmm. keep going. Keep applying your heart. You fall down. You get back up again. Just keep going. And it. We're all going home. We are all going home, guaranteed. It's just right. a matter of time. Yes. Such a helpful reminder, I think, at this particular moment in time. Um, So I I really, really appreciate that. And with that, you've been listening to The Yoga Hour. It's been my pleasure to share this time with you. 
I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, producer and co-host of the show, and we've been discussing emotional resilience in difficult times with psychotherapist, meditation teacher, and author Ralph De La Rosa. His new book is called Don't Tell Me to Relax, which is a fabulous title. <laughs> you can find out more about Ralph, his books and events at his website, ralphdelarosa.com. Ralph, thank you so much for joining me today on The Yoga Hour. I've really, really loved our conversation. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Lots of love to you. Thank you. Same back to you. We invite you to explore the many online programs provided by the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, which you can access at the website, cscenter.org. Currently, Yogacharya O'Brien and CSE are offering special programs celebrating the centenary of Yogananda's arrival in the United States. There's also daily morning meditation at 6.30 a.m., weekday afternoon meditation at 4 p.m., and Sunday satsang, a weekly talk and meditation service every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific. Learn more about the programs either at csecenter.org or ellengraceobryan.com. Join us next time on the Yoga Hour when I will be talking with Reverend Kamala Itzel Hayward about responding to racism with the spiritual practices of yoga. Reverend Hayward is the founder of Attuned Living, a mindfulness and wellness organization that helps individuals heal the sense of separation they feel from others or even from themselves. The Yoga Hour is a service project of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, a meditation center in the Kriya Yoga tradition. CSE welcomes people from all backgrounds who are seeking self and God realization, a path to spiritually conscious, fulfilled living in today's world. Remember to subscribe to the Yoga Hour podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And if you enjoy us, please tell a friend. Thank you to the Yoga Hour team, our founder and host, Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien, assistant producers Anne Hayes and Mickey Coronado, CSE's global media outreach manager, Holly Gray, and Jeff Comfort and Louis Pagan in the sound booth at unity.fm. I look forward to being with you again. Until then, remember... You carry your own healing and wholeness within you. Share your peace and joy with all you meet. Bye now. Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Sometimes you feel so alone and overwhelmed, you don't know where to turn. These days, it seems like there is no end to our problems. We invite you to connect with Silent Unity, the 24-hour prayer ministry where someone is waiting to pray with you right now. Since 1890, Silent Unity has always been there. No judgment or dogma, just someone affirming the best for you. Call 816-969-2000 today. You can also connect online at unityprayervigil.org.